Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice. Or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Wrestling Connection Podcast Network. Welcome into Wrestling Warzone, Monday Night Wars Podcast Retrospective Series. I'm JT, and joining me as ever is uh, Arthur Smith loving, mustachioed madman right, from so the nice. South, Mr. Chad Campbell. How are you? My Vince McMahon memorial mustache. Oh, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I shaved the beard and decided to just leave it for this podcast only. It'll be gone. Uh, that's a good decision that it's just for this podcast. <laughs> it'll be it'll be gone. I kill that. I kill that. Maybe during the. Maybe you should do Rick Rude. Uh, oh well, I guess we we uh, do both shows back and forth now. But if you should have had it for Raw and then shaved it before Nitro, right, right, right. Good gimmick right there. <laughs> Um, anyway, as you can tell, like we were just talking about, uh, our gimmick on the show is that we are going through the history of the Monday Night Wars. We are in early 1997. Finally, it's been glorious to get out of 1996. Uh, we've been in a very WCW run uh, lately. We covered Clash of Champions two episodes ago. Last episode, uh, we covered Sold Out. We had a, a great uh, turnout as far as listeners and viewers, so we appreciate everyone who checked that out. And uh, hopefully you're sticking around to follow up on that because this is what we're going to be talking about. The intro that occurred two nights later and then the raw to correspond with it. And um, be sure to subscribe if you're here and if the first time you're watching, subscribe on YouTube. We have a lot of content on South Connection almost every day. We have uh, fresh video content. We're also available on all podcast applications and audio form of this show and many other simulcasts. Plus, we have audio exclusive only shows. We have video exclusive. So just subscribe to both. You won't miss a thing. A lot of great content. Leave us a comment, leave us a like, and uh, share around. So, Chad, what we started with the last time we were head-to-head on uh, January 20th was recapping in real time. We feel like the Monday Wars really have kicked off now, officially in January of 97. Uh, things are hot and heavy. We're both going to be, our uh, shows are going to be two hours uh, very shortly. So, actually, in the next week, yeah, right? Next this week, is our last one-hour Raw. So yeah, last one-hour Raw, so. Yeah, this is a big milestone. Uh, yeah. So we're going to go back and forth while they're live. So we're going to alternate for the first hour, uh, raw segment, nitro segment, raw segment, nitro segment, to get the feel of what it was like flipping back and forth. And then we'll close with the second hour of nitro. Um, right. but we are going to start with the first segment of nitro because we are following the pay-per-view. Uh, so Chad, I'm going to turn it over to you here. We're in Des Moines, Iowa, 
So we're staying Midwest and uh, kicking things off. Well, before we do that, uh, I wanted to read this editorial by Wade Keller that okay. was in the Torch. It's uh, Torch 425. It's the same one that has the sold out uh, review that we talked about a little bit on our last episode. But I thought this was a great article. Um, it actually kind of sets the stage, I think, for the Monday Night Wars and where we're at. I think most of the points Wade hits on are uh, both like accurate in the moment and become um, very like foretelling of what happens and still kind of it still seems relevant today with like WWE versus AEW. So I'm just going to kind of read it. It'll take a little bit, but but I think it's worth it because I thought it was the best like, you know, like sometimes so far we've had like back and forth editorials and stuff like that. But this one I thought was just awesome. Okay. Let's have it. Uh, so it's called 31 Weeks and County. Losing the first week was embarrassing. The first week Nitro went head to head with Monday Night Raw. Nitro beat Raw 2.5 to 2.3. WWF assumed the curiosity seekers would grow bored with WCW's inferior product and eventually settle in with the franchise Monday Night Vehicle, Monday Night Raw. 32 weeks later, the two shows were neck and neck, with Nitro having the slight edge overall, having won the ratings battle 16 weeks and losing 15, plus one tie. The WWF had begrudgingly gotten used to having to battle it out for the swing viewers each week. Then four things happened over the course of two months, and Raw was cooked. First, May 27, 1996, Nitro expanded to two hours. The one-hour lead-in gave them a distinct advantage overall since the head-to-head -head hour had a built-in audience. It swung the ratings in WCW's favor, but in the head-to-head -head hour, Raw was still close, even when in a few weeks. There was concern that WCW would be unable to fill the two hours with quality programming, and therefore the watered-down product would result in viewers watching one hour of Nitro, then switch into the WWF's only must-see hour of their programming schedule. WCW, though, had plenty to fill their two-hour show thanks to the addition of Mexico's AAA talent. While they did not receive a lot of credit when people talk about Nitro's recent dominance on Mondays, the quarter-hour breakdowns of ratings show that the Mexican wrestlers often command the largest viewership on Nitro and readily beat big-name matchups on Raw. It gave Nitro an exciting new dimension and provided the action part of the successful Nitro equation. The third major change in Nitro was the shot heard around the wrestling world, the arrival of Scott Hall and later Kevin Nash onto the Nitro set. Not only did two of WWF's top five wrestlers jump ship, snatching away more WWF fans in the process, but they formed an organization called the NWO, purportedly independent of WCW. The NWO was a neat little idea at first, but soon it became the hippest concept in wrestling and the hottest angle perhaps of all time. The NWO concept was so hip and so successful, Hulk Hogan wanted in. Hogan's heel turn became the fourth major turning point that solidified Nitro's dominance over Raw. There has been no looking back. Since Hogan's heel turn, Nitro was beat Raw in every head-to-head -head matchup, the closest margin being 2.6 to 2.3. For 31 straight weeks, Nitro has dominated Raw in the ratings. They not only win the head-to-head -head hour, but recently well over half of Raw's audience has been turning into Nitro, when Raw concludes, that means the WWF is bringing fans to the television screens on Monday night who might not tune in if it was just WCW on the air. And then those WWF faithful are tuning in to WCW after Raw. 
And some of those people are buying NWO t-shirts, attending air arena events, calling the WCW 900 number and buying WCW pay-per-views. Every time Vince McMahon thought he had an answer, WCW had a counter move. Day after the Royal Rumble, Bret Hart quit the WWF. WCW counter-programmed by bringing back Randy Savage after several months off. When McMahon brought back Bret Hart, the sting angle overshadowed it. When Raw moved its time slot up an hour, Nitro was ready to make the first hour seem important by turning into NWO Nitro. They never had to do it because Nitro won the ratings battle without it. The WWF could only handle so much humiliation. McMahon was left with no choice but to either accept defeat in the Monday Night War and take pride in being more profitable than the salary cap bursting WCW or fire back in a big way. This week, he decided to fire back in a big way. He decided to play by WCW's rules, expand to two hours, and go live at major arenas across the country. Make Raw seem like as much a special event as Nitro. Make the choice for fans more difficult. Besides the four additions to Nitro already listed, Nitro in general beat Raw from the standpoint of atmosphere. Raw was one run the traditional way, cut back on expenses by taping four shows at once and run smaller buildings. Traditional television tapings have been lost leaders, but the reason TV tapings were write-offs in the past don't apply to today's world. TV tapings used to feature mostly squash matches meant to establish the name personalities and wet viewers' appetite to see the big names face each other at their local arenas. WCW has managed to turn that whole concept around. Their most profitable show have become the TV tapings known as Monday Nitro. Even with the 50000 give or take it costs for the satellite truck to be on hand for the live broadcast, and even with the thousands of dollars in satellite time and for the extra crew, WCW is making money at Nitro some weeks. Plus, with the ratings they are getting, they are making money on advertising. And that doesn't even count the bounty points being scored with Turner executives. It makes headlines and trade papers in USA Today when TNT beat perennial champ USA Network for the first time in the 1996 ratings battle. WCW is mentioned as one of the primary reasons. WCW going for the red ink stepchild to the darling of Turner's empire translated to more bad news for the WWF. The more valuable WCW seems to TBS, the more perks that it will be sent their way. Bigger budget for TV, looser purse strings for talent, more time spent pushing for leverage when it comes to cable and syndicated clearances, not to mention more mainstream medical media articles on WCW as the general public catches up the concept that WCW is number one. And it is that last line, perhaps more than anything, that drove McMahon to make a move that deep down he still thinks is bad for the industry. When the buy rate for the Royal Rumble came in around 50 to 30% behind Starcade of just a few weeks earlier, and when Nitro creamed Raw on January 20th, a date circled as the night Raw finally had the deck stacked in their favor, and when Nitro at Chicago's United Center nearly packed the place and set an all-time record for WCW's gate and brought in comparable money to what WrestleMania would draw across town at the Rosemont Horizon in a few months, well, it all painted a picture and people were noticing. Many industry followers were declaring the shift in the balance of power official. WCW was wrestling's top company. WCW had overtaken the WWF in virtually every major category since perhaps overall profitability. Cable ratings, syndicated ratings, pay-per-view buy rates, and mass media attention all shifted to WCW. WCW closed the gap tighter at arena shows, overseas tours, and merchandising. All this happened since Monday Nitro began 17 months ago. McMahon in his heart is still convinced he is the superior promoter, but his list of excuses for losing on Mondays became irrelevant. No one was listening anymore. 
Raw can no longer lose and blame it on being pre-taped or being only one hour. After all, WCW can no longer counterplan Nitro against pre-taped Raws. In the last few days since rumors started of this move, the most often brought up issue is whether the WWF's roster is deep enough to support two hours of programming. Sure it is. Is it as deep as WCW's roster? No. But WCW arguably has gone overboard. Also, the WWF is willing to build an hour of television around one or two elaborately hyped matches while WCW caters to the MTV attention span of three minutes per match, rapid fire pacing. The WWF is use of triple all talent which can help fill some time. They need to pick and choose which wrestlers they use and then actually make them distinguishable from one another. Hector Garza is a good place to start if they establish a working agreement with All Japan or another Japanese promotion. Too bad for them that WCW already snatched up an agreement with the exciting Michinoku Pro Group. That would add more depth. WCW has already conditioned the national audience to accept non-American wrestlers. The WWL fought to take advantage of the road WCW has paid. McMahon knows that he has expanded two hours just before WCW debuts their first major acquisition in months, Kurt Henning. The WWF is working on some major surprises of their own, and perhaps we're confident in making this move now because they do have a trick or two up their sleeve. Will Eric Bischoff panic? No, in fact, for him, this is a new challenge. He sees it as an opportunity to beat the WWF under even turf, tougher circumstances, adding to the stripes on his sleeve. For wrestling fans, four hours of live wrestling on Monday nights might seem daunting, if not overwhelming, but the quality of the two shows will be better because of it. The competition will continue to drive and inspire both sides to try new approaches and take more chances. Had Raw instead moved to Thursday, both shows would have resorted to the captive audience mentality and slowed down the pace and quality of the programming and taken fewer chances. The WWF's primary fear in making this move is that it will kill off pay-per-view and house show business. Every tenet of wrestling wisdom points that direction. Yet Nitro in the past 17 months has blown all logic out the window. Exciting wrestling makes people want to spend money on wrestling. The WWF just made wrestling more exciting. Um, so, great. I think Mike dropped <laughs> the type article. I, I don't any thoughts on that. I didn't see... Anything that I vehemently disagreed with, um, I'd say the only thing that kind of doesn't come to pass is the use of the triple A talent with WWL, right. but not about. And they do end up getting Michinoka Pro later in the year um, after ECW, but no, I mean it's spot on. It you know it explains why. And, and I I thought the most interesting part was it said like Vince is doing what he thinks is bad. Like yeah. he he doesn't think it's a good move, right? To go to right. two hours live and you know and pour on, and they're still doing it today, right? So they ended up sticking with it because they ended up conditioning the audience as such. But it definitely made things a lot tougher for them, no doubt, to have to churn out that much content uh, regularly with that level of quality match, and eventually has you know become not even eventually, pretty soon after this became really tough to maintain, especially once they added SmackDown and then the stakes went up even higher becomes an arm race. I think one of my biggest takeaways from that article is the insanity of WCW being dead within two years of that article being written for all intents and purposes. Like, you know, by mid 99, it's not recognizable as a head to head competitor for WF. I mean, and that's, you're reading this and it's like a death song for WF. Like this is like a last hurrah to try and go to two hours. And yeah, the, you know, it'll improve, but WCW is killing them, right? They've surpassed them in everything or tie them in places you never thought they would tie them. If you were to say to Wade, like, hey, 
within two years, like this whole thing is going to be turned upside down again. Maybe he would have said, well, yeah, that makes sense. It's Vince, but everything, the momentum just seems so heavy toward WCW. It's crazy. Just how, I don't want to call it a botch. This is how badly it goes sideways for them. Oh, I mean, it's definitely a botch. They had, I mean, this is the only time since the national expansion in 1983 that they, you know, they, I mean, and you see it some in 1998 when they first become profitable, but they keep spending too. And then by 1999, it's just, you know, they're hemorrhaging everything. They're losing yeah. ratings. They're, they're overspending. It's, 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 it's a huge botch because here's, you, you're seeing it. Like that was one thing with that United Center Raw. Like they were packing the attendance. Like you look now. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to bring it modern day, like with AEW versus WWE, I mean, WWE still has such a huger market share in general. Like, AEW is profitable, probably. Right. We don't know, but I would think so to some degree. Well, T- um, you can't compare, too, because TV rights deals are so that- uh, such a big driver. The, 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 back then, they were paying for time. Yeah, like, they say They that. were that's, paying that's USA for the time. Yeah. And then they were... Yeah, they were they were they were paying for the TV time and then getting paid back through advertising. I think right. things shift for WWF and like oh, I want to say it's oh five when they go back to when NBC. They go back to USA, yeah, USA, where they say, okay, you're going to pay us and then you yep. keep the advertising. Yep, you know, so that that's when that whole thing starts. So it's it's, a, it's such a hard comparison because back then they were they were paying for the time. Well, I think I think the rights fees and all that now is where you get the same argument where like. Maybe now, like in WWE Creative's head or Tony Khan's head, like it may not necessarily be the best for the product that we're having to produce. Right. You know, essentially five hours of content on both sides. Like I would include NXT Mm because there's there's so much crossover now. Um, so it's five hours a week of content, or no, it's six hours on WWE side because we're all three hours. So six versus five. NXT is two hours. So it's seven. Uh, Oh, yeah, seven. It's crazy. So that's a lot of content they're having to create. But you look at, like, the rights and fees and all that, they're still getting revenue for that. And when you compare it, like, what, you know, as bad as when we're taping this, like, Collision's number was really awful the first week of college football. But that same week last year, or on the first week of college football, TNT wasn't even in the top 150 on the cable ratings. So it's right. like and Raw had it wasn't like the lowest rating ever against yeah. the opening Monday night game and second whatever. lowest rating ever. Right, right. And and they're still, about to get 300 million dollars from Amazon or Disney for SmackDown. <laughs> it's like you know, they're, they're like in, uh, yeah. yeah, it looks like they're in some sort of you know they'll be competitive bids yeah. for yeah. their services. So. It's it's interesting. It's interesting how that still like pays in today. Like the business has definitely changed from like, all right, well, let's just get them to the arena in an arena setting. To now, right. it's like, you know, we necessarily we'll take we'll take a dive on content just because we have these revenue streams. Like yeah. like we know we can't be as tight and focused right. with so much content, but. We're not and that's going to ramp up even more with Endeavor and all that. I mean, that's a whole other podcast for another time. Um, but it, it's an interesting <laughs> article. I'm glad you read it. I think yeah. it sums up where we're at in the war. I mean, this is yeah. the final one-hour old-school Raw. We've been talking about it for forever. Like, oh, we're getting there. We're here. On our next episode, we're in the first two-hour Raw. We're not in the war zone yet, but we're in the two-hour Raw. 
Yeah. And then we're just a few weeks away from, you know, war Raw's war versus Nitro. And that's that's where we head for the next few couple of years at least, you know. Yeah, and I think it was good a way just to show like how this you know, it's it's not necessarily things that are are mutually exclusive, like Vince expanding to two hours mm-hmm. in 1997. You know, it could it could have been kind of a desperate act, but that doesn't mean it's a bad one. You know, it's right. exciting for the fan, which he just he he spells out here, which I, I thought was I just thought it was articulated really well um, and kind of sets the scene. So saying all that. <laughs> are we ready to dive so in? Yeah, you want me to do this opening segment? You want us break or are you good? I'm good. I'm All good. Right. No, I was rip. fired up about that. I love it. Right. This has been my favorite thing reading because we have no podcast or nothing from that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we have. These like articles. Yeah. Retrospective. So that felt like, you know, like what you would see now on like a Wade Keller hotline or on Twitter when you get the recap from Trevor right. Dang or whoever. Uh, so we are in Des Moines, Iowa. Hogan as face is still in the opening, of course. Uh, but we do get a, a little departure where as soon as we come into the arena, uh, Eric leads us in. Eric Bischoff, a holdover from uh, Sold Out. So uh, Eric leads us in, welcoming us to NWO Monday Nitro. And it's uh, Eric Bischoff, Hall, and Nash in the booth. I'll just say right up front, we talked about how kind of one of the biggest mistakes and sold out was how de-emphasized the outsiders were on that show. Yep, They're pretty prominent here. Um, yeah, they definitely made up for it. I don't know if that was their original plan was to say like, okay, I don't know. I don't get the sold out booking, honestly. Like we talked no. about, it, I guess a lot of sold out, like a lot of it just didn't make sense. Um, like they didn't showcase their strengths. It's almost like they were, I guess maybe in their minds, they were trying to set up the NWO as a brand. So they're like, okay, we're going to show off the depth and, you know, instead at this show versus like, let's play the strengths and get the guys everyone want to see out there. But that's how we start tonight. Yeah. Like you said, it's Bischoff, Hall, Nash, NWO, Nitro, Des Moines. Like they're starting things off like right. it's their show. Right. Uh, so he talks about uh, the pay-per-view. He keeps saying last night, even though it was two nights ago. So a little slip up there. Hard uh, habit to break. Not used to the Saturday night. Um, and he talks about the misjustice of what happened in the tag title match. Uh, so they do show a clip. Now, this I thought was a funny clip where they show Hall giving the outsider's edge and having like a long count. While Nick Patrick was uh, away, Hall says that could have been a 20 count. Uh, The finish does get shown. Hall claims he had his shoulder up, which is uh, a funny thing when he's completely laid out. Uh, Eric calls it the greatest injustice ever done in this sport. Uh, Randy Anderson is in the ring. He's officiating the first night on night of first match on Nitro. Eric calls him to the announce booth. So Randy Anderson comes out of the ring, jogs down. Hall says, come here, you goof. Uh, when he gets up there, Hall kind of paintbrushes, slaps him around a little bit. Eric asks what he was thinking. He says, and, and Randy Anderson has an amazing Southern accent. Oh, God, yeah. It's, Deep it's stuff. one after my own heart. Uh, so he says he was reffing in WCW. The promoter gave him a ticket. <laughs> I was like, who is this? Gary Jester or whoever? Right. Uh, uh, Eric, ticket. Eric asked how much did he pay? So wanting to know what the market was going for these tickets. Randy says it was a gift. 
Uh, so Eric then brings up the company policy on receiving gifts as ignorance is not an excuse. You cannot accept freebies of any kind. Payola. Yeah. For Randy says, I was just doing my job. Uh, and then Eric brings up that he knows it's been a tough year. Randy says, yeah, with the, with the cancer. Uh, and Eric says, I know it's been a tough year, but I, you've left me with no choice, and you were by here terminated. And as soon as he says terminated, the outsider's laugh is so <laughs> degrading. Like, they bust out laughing. They call him a loser. Jabari. Yeah, yeah, get out of here, you loser. Uh, and then Eric shifts that, calls out the Steiner brothers. The outsiders stand up. Here come the Steiner brothers out. Hall calls them to goose, too. Uh, they get close to kind of the announce area. Eric tells them to stay right there. Dillinger and security's in between them. Uh, Eric says <laughs> that he that they received gratis. Hall says that's too that's too complicated a word for me. <laughs> Dumb it to, down. To leave the belts here. Scott says, yeah, we're the we are the champs. Eric lets us know he's the highest ranking WCW official. And they must leave the belts here or they will be in breach of contract. Hall constantly is like mm-hmm. spouting off at, at uh, Rick. He keeps saying, hey, dog face. Hey, dog face. <laughs> I want your belt. I want, I want his dog, belt. Dog face. I want yours. I want your belt, dog face. Uh, Dollface, I want yours. Uh, so Scott and Rick both throw the belts on the ground. Eric says they'll be fine for that action. The outsiders lift up the belt. Nick Patrick's in the announce booth, kind of, you know, pointing at the belts and give them a glam up. Um, and that's pretty much how we end our first segment. So, what did you think? I thought this was great. All this I loved. I mean, it's it. It's a dusty finish from the pay-per-view, but it, it is one that, like, immediately when it happened at the pay-per-view... Like you knew it was coming. Area, yeah, yeah. yeah. And know? they were basically saying it. They weren't hiding it. They were like, yeah. we're going to fix this. You know, we're going to get it right. And, no, this right. was awesome. It's a, it's a super memorable angle, like, a night a segment. Like, this is one I, I think anyone who's, like, dialed in during this time remembers. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Hall is constantly... Constantly trying to interject wow. the whole time. Just like little comments all throughout this. Um, yeah, Bishop saying it's company policy. Uh, you can't receive gifts from their employees. Payola, it's a freebie. Uh, and it goes, I'll just do my job. And Hall goes, the Steiners are doing the job. <laughs> that was another great line by him in there. Uh, Anderson mentions his battle with cancer, which Bishop brought up. He goes, I know it's been a tough year. And, and then Bishop goes, I don't want to hear about your personal problems. <laughs> This is great. Um, this is such a great smarmy asshole boss. So he oh. fires him. Uh, Anderson says mumbling about his children. Uh, but it, it kind of came off like um, Milton in Office Space here. You know, like, but, but, but my children, you know, and they're like basically laughing at him like a loser. Uh, Jabron, the signers come out. And I love him dumbing it down, like you said, like the gratis. Uh, Randy Anderson was fired for gratis. You're going to dumb it down. Um, and yeah, all the comments are great. Bischoff is such a, he's like, hand him over, we're running low on time, we're going to get moving. Uh, and the Steiners capitulate, which, like, it's interesting to me. You'd think they put up more of a fight. Actually, I thought they kind of looked a little bit like bitches. Like, not only did they hand the titles over, he tells them, go to the ring, or you're going to breach a contract, go wrestle. And they just walk to the ring to wrestle. Like, 
they, they could have had him to say F you. We're like, we're not wrestling. We're going to brawl security and, and cuffed and dragged out of the arena. It looked a little bit more badass. Um, I'd say that's the only weakness in this. The signers kind of look like pussies because uh, they kind of just give in to Bischoff. Um, Hall being all sad that the belt was broken when, when Rick threw it down, <laughs> which was for they both threw him down. Um, and they said, oh, just go beat these jabronis. Uh, but it was awesome. I thought this is, you know, the, the idea, the concept of a dusty finish is maligned often in wrestling, but <laughs> the times it works. And like, this was a perfect time for it. Like the war is not even close to being over. WCW hasn't turned the tide. You don't really need the Steiners to have won the tag titles that sold out. It was enough to show that they could, that the troops are coming together. That Anderson took a stand, but the belt's getting, you know, jerked back to the outsiders. I think is actually a way better story than the signers winning the belt. So I think this was like really well executed and made a lot of sense to go this way. So I, it's a great segment. It's an all time, you know, if you're ranking them, I mean, this is a project for us at the end of this, but uh, yeah. rank the all time Monday wars moments. Like this is probably top half, like, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's top 10 or 15 by the end, but I'd say it's pretty high. It, it's up there. Maybe top 50 yeah. of the, of the yeah. war. It's up there. Yeah. Um, God, you're just going to be starting. Now I just, Sparked the next stretch project for next year, maybe uh, the greatest moments of the Monday Night War from either side. Oh anyway, um, yeah, great segment, great segment. So now we're not done with WCW yet, though, on the head to head, right? We're staying. No, it goes right into the first match, uh, which is the Faces of Fear versus the Steiner Brothers. Eric, let's throw in commentary. Your world tag team title match was advertised, and they are going to back it up. The Outsiders will defend the title tonight. Um, so, so this this I thought turned into a pretty good uh, power matchup. Kind of the two lost teams. Uh, we get a power slam from Rick to Mean. Uh, you know, all on commentary he's talking about how they beat both his teams. Barbarian I thought looked pretty nasty. Like he's been looking great lately. Yeah, uh, he hits a nice sidewalk slam. Um, Hall gives him credit and says that any match with the faces of fear is tough. Then he, I thought this was an interesting comment. He says, you know, most a lot, a little behind the curtain. He talks about how like people say Mings are the toughest person in you know wrestling, but he thinks Barbarian's the one that carries the team, which uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a little weird. Uh, Sherry, he doesn't. Nash doesn't talk a lot either in that. Like no. Hall really is the one like chirping, chirping, chirping all night. But Nash does get a couple of his cervic lines, so I'll get another one in a second. But um, but he uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. The Hall was really doing a lot of the talking. Yeah, because they show uh, Sherry and Harlem Heat in the crowd just sitting there watching the match. Hall says this is a long way from Houston. Uh, a nasty splash. This was kind of like one of those botches that happens, but it actually looks better where yeah. um, like Rick Stein, like uh, Ming was on the top row. Rick Steiner sits up right as Ming dies and he still makes contact. So he almost makes contact on the splash with the back of uh, Rick's neck and back. It looked really gross. Um, and then Hall <laughs> sends a big shot to uh, Sags. He calls it. He talks about uh, Shreveport, and he's he says, "Yeah, you tell that toothless punk we will meet again. You get your doctor's release, and we'll go." So <laughs> and Bischoff's yeah. just like, "All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's put that behind us." He says, "Probably yeah, he doesn't there. want to risk any any more no. lawsuits." Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, so the face of fear, the double top headbutt. Um, Scott has to break up the pin. Top rope, belly to belly, gets tried by Barbarian, but Rick uh, falls on top and he uh, doesn't go over. 
then Barbarian misses a boot. Rick's able to hit the back suplex from his knees. Good power move there. Sky gets the hot tag. That looks great. Butterfly suplex. Uh, all kind of calls Scott Steiner a dubby. Scott gets the belly to belly on Ming, uh, and that picks up the win. The hot, the crowd was hot for it. So again, like this is, um, you know, I would say this is one of your Steiner matches around this time. Like it's clunky. It has some weird parts to it, flow wise, but uh, the throws are there. The commentary was fun. A lot, a lot of good stuff going on. So I went two and a half. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And I love the bravado of the outsiders too, because you know they're not going to fight like a real team, but they, you know, like we want to yeah. defend. Like yeah. we could have taken the Steiners. They're always talking. Um, Nash is quiet, but the few lines he gets are tremendous. He makes a Dunkin' Donuts joke, uh, and references the Dunkin' Donuts guy. If you remember the dude, the time to make the donuts guy, um, from the commercials, time to make the donuts, yes. And he says, referee Scott Dickinson and, that, and the Dunkin' Donuts guy have the same derby, <laughs> which is just a great line. Like, he could have said he looks like him, he's fat like him, but the same derby is such a great, uh, freaking way to put it. Um, and then when they show Harlem Heat and Sherry, Hall says a thing about Houston, and Nash goes, I thought they were dead. <laughs> which is just another just, it's such a stupid random line but uh hall says scott gained 30 pounds and he's fresh because he sat around for six months mm-hmm. and then he gets into the shreveport stuff uh hall says they need to recruit more wrestlers and refs to the nwo hall calls rick robbie and says he's the robbie's the weak link um <laughs> And then, yeah, the finish is good with the overhead belly to belly. I like this. It was the usual heavy offense. It was a little slow pace, but everything hit. Uh, the NWO commentary always carries these along as well when they're on. Uh, Hall's just on fire. Uh, it was sloppy in a good way and uh, gave the Steiners the win. Like I said, they looked like I thought they were a little bit pussies with Bischoff, but at least they win here clean. So I went two and three quarter uh, on this match. It's right in my tag team Haas wheelhouse. Nice. No doubt. Um, okay. All right, so we're going to head over to Raw now. Uh, we'll get the opening segment of this. Uh, we get our we open with a recap of last week's Wild Ride with Bret Hart and Steve Austin, and that set up the Final Four match officially in your house to determine the next number one contender who will challenge Shawn Michaels for the title. Right after that, we then get our opening animation. Uh, did you catch where they were? I, don't, I didn't seem to know it down here. No. Uh, it must still be in, uh, yeah, they're in the same place. They were. Beaumont? Was it, I think it was Beaumont. Beaumont. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh, all right. We get to our opening match, which is Ahmed Johnson taking on Crush. Ahmed struts out. Vince and King hype up the show. They talk about the big heel turn over the weekend. Yes, Savio Vega has turned on Ahmed Johnson at Madison Square Garden. He joined the nation. Uh, it was a tag match for Rook and Crush against Savio and Ahmed, so he helped Farouk win. Uh, King says Ahmed's weekend could turn out like the Patriots weekend. Of course, got uh, beaten in the Super Bowl by the Packers. Uh, we get a replay from MSG. Then the whole nation, except uh, Farouk and Salvio, come out with Crush. We then get clips from the nation trying to attack Sid on shotguns. So they had a very busy weekend here. I think we're in peak we're in peak nation uh, stretch here now. They're going to be on a lot. Uh, Crush attacks her behind on the floor. The distraction works away in the back. Ahmed gets a power slam. Vince says, no one in the world can stop Ahmed when he explodes. Ahmed hammers Crush. She moves through some offense. Crush stumbles around. Ahmed misses an elbow drop. Crush takes over to belly to belly and some chokes. We get plenty more talk about MSG. Savio's heel turn. Crush hooks a very lazy body scissors. Uh, Farouk is in the aisle to watch. After a break, Ahmed breaks the hold. He falls back and powers out of it. Crush remains in control. He still goes after the back as Vince talks about Hunter Semsley and his new butler, Curtis. 
Ahmed drop kicks Crush as he comes off the middle rope and then dumps him to the floor. Crush ties up the ref, and out comes Farouk. He beats down Ahmed, whips him into the steps, and back inside, crushes the heart punch to win the match over Ahmed Johnson. Uh, not not much doing here at all. When, it, when you compare these two segments, it's, it's a tough comp. Uh, we get a couple of glimmers from Ahmed, but Crush just stinks. Um, surprising win. I guess the numbers game is, is the story, but I was shocked that they had crush beat on that pretty, I mean, I wouldn't say clean, but fairly clean. He pinned him. Um, so I went star and a half on this opener. Yeah. Crush, I think's officially overtaken my mantle of the, uh, person I hate the most on both shows combined. Um, cause we're not seeing a whole lot of Duggan or, uh, wall street really, or, uh, Hugh Morris. Uh, Hugh Morris has actually been pretty good, as we'll get to later. Yeah, he's been okay. <laughs> he's, he, he's on the up, upswing. Uh, Crush, I just think, sucks. And I gotta be honest, like, this whole feud's not doing much for me either. Like, something mm-hmm. with Ahmed coming back, I, I kind of, like, it's pretty prominent on this Raw. They cut back, as you'll get to. Um, and I, I was just thinking, watching this episode, I was like, I, I really just don't care anymore. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, it's almost like the same thing theory in some ways is nwo is like the numbers game like if ahmed gets his hands on farouk but um i don't know that time off really cooled him like yeah he was uh, not even the full-time off he was hurt it is what it is and farouk didn't even join the nation until november but it just feels like it just felt like that burn from the debut of the nation till the rumble really kind of dragged this out to where it feels like it's already been going on forever. We haven't even had yeah. a singles match with these two guys, you know? Uh, Well, the Rumble. Yeah, I guess, but like a single. Uh, like a blow-off? Yeah, 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 like a I big mean, match, you know? Well, it's that got, was yeah, like a quick I mean, sprint, a DQ, so man, that was almost get, more like a segment than a match. We got a ways to go, too. So yeah. that, that, I think, also is hurting me in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, boy. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think Anything was very interesting here, especially Crush's offense. Uh, there's somebody wearing the NWO shirt right in the front row of Raw, which is just kind of alarming to see. Uh, Spanish announce booth is there for this taping. That seemed a little odd. Because they're in Texas or something. Maybe. I don't, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, not not much going on here as far as the match. I only want a star. Like it, I, I thought it, 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 didn't, it didn't go – a long time, but it did go through one commercial break, and it went uh, a little long for me. So, not not the best opening. No, it's. I mean, it's like I want to. They started with Ahmed, and Ahmed's hot. So, like, I don't want to bash them too much because it's not yeah. like they started with like a flat, random match, which they've done at times, right? They've like rolled out Freddie Joe Floyd and whoever. Like, they actually opened with like their. I, I would argue Ahmed. Nation is like a top three feud for them. So they started yeah. with a piece of that. Ahmed is hot. It's just that crush sucks. So it's like the problem with the nation is they have no workers right now. Because like I think that's why they probably turned Savio. Hey, he was dead in the water as a face. And they probably yeah. looked at him as like, okay, we kind of need like a workhorse guy in the nation right now. And and you know, not that he is for us, but in their mind, I'm sure he was. Farouk isn't quite figured it out back in the ring. You know, Ron Simmons still struggling. Crush is worthless. So it's like what do we, you know, we need someone that can wrestle matches, right? Yeah, and that kind of goes back to the article. Like, this ain't the, this isn't the best uh, prospect for two hours if, no. if this is kind of what's rolled out. 
Um, so now we go back to Nitro. Uh, when they left to commercial break, they had the NWO bumper music. When we come back, Tony and Larry are in the booth. So they kind of reset everything. Uh, your your news, usual stuff here. Larry calls it the New World or Odor. Um, the New World Odor. He says they live by the code of the married man. Deny, yeah. deny, deny. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a good touch from Tony where he says good things did happen at sold out for WCW, but because it was presented by the NWO, they can't show the footage. Uh, they do show some steals of yeah, the ladder so match. Some photos, some photos yeah. we can show. Uh, so Eddie, they show Eddie winning that. Uh, they also show Dallas Page accepting the NWO shirt and then doing the diamond cutter. Uh, Tony lets us know it's below zero weather and there's snow outside, but it's warm inside the arena with all the action that's going on. Uh, and that leads us to Roadblock versus the Giant. Uh, roadblock attacks before Giant even steps into the ring. Chops by Roadblock. He gets hit with a huge clothesline in the corner. Giant charges in, eats a big boot. Roadblock goes for a slam. That gets blocked. Giant's able to slam him. Crowds into this, uh, this one. Uh, and then when Roadblock gets up from the slam, Giant hits an incredible drop kick. Roadblock takes a huge bump to the outside uh, through an announce table. Now, they, <laughs> they try to say, like, this is, like, the second table that sometimes they announce. I mean, it's in a different position from one they've ever Probably announced. Probably clearly but, to set up for this. But, but you know, it, it looked cool. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, giant rolls roll block back in the ring, hits the choke slam, and that's it. So, I mean, this is a, this is a two minute match, but uh, crowd was into it, had a cool spot. Uh, hoss, you know, a lot of hoss action. Um, I thought it made the giant look violent. So, for a two minute match, I thought it was successful. I, I, to me, that's something like <laughs> this match actually had me thinking about like how Aaron George rates matches. And um, I'd be interested to see what he put this on his scale. And almost, two and a half. I guess yeah, that's a two and a half. That's what I almost stole. I almost stole it, but, you know, I'm kind of a prig. But I did think it was fun for when it lasted, so I went two. I just went with the standard one. But, I mean, it was a good little squash. I, a giant needed the dominant clean win. Like, he had, yeah. like he's had a tough couple of weeks here. He needed to remind everyone that he comes out and he just destroys guys. Um, that's what we needed to see more of. So I was glad about that. Um, that we get to see him be reestablished. So, um, he does get the mic after. He says yeah. he's a fire-breathing giant. He's still alive, and he vows to take the title home. He wants another match tonight with Hogan. So yeah. it's like our third straight week, right? We had the yeah. the Robin Hood one, then we had sold out, and now we got here. So he's uh, you know, wants another title shot. Yeah, he's been issuing the the challenge, and Hogan's been accepting. But yeah, this is kind yes, of yeah. Problem. To Hogan's credit, he's accepted them all. So yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's go back to Raw. We get a break and then clips of Ahmed and Crush. Shawn Michaels then here to the ring. We hear some We Want Shawn chants. I don't know if they were piped in or if they directed them to chant them before like, we came back from break, maybe kind of thing. Let's all chant We Want Shawn. <laughs> uh, Vince gets in the ring for a chat. He talks about the past year for Shawn uh, and his whole dream and coming true. But on February 13th, on Thursday, Raw Thursday. Sean has to have his rematch with Sid. Sean says it's no longer a dream, but a reality. And everyone knows that Sid and Sean have a strange relationship. Sid gave him a shot and Sean will return the favor. Vince and Sean talk about final four and the options of if he beats Sid, who will face him at WrestleMania. Sean says, Brett's not happy with him. Austin's not happy with anybody. And then you have Undertaker and Vader who are two monsters. It's all about the WF title, which brings out the best and the worst. 
Vince brings out Bret Hart as well. He tells Sean to do whatever he has to do to get to WrestleMania's champion because he's the one that'll stand tall at Final Four. And he wants Sean in the ring for the belt. No injuries and at 100%. <laughs> Vince asks Brett if he's overlooking Sid. Brett says he won't just credit Sid, but he's rooting for Sean. And he'll watch his back to ensure it if needed. Out comes The Undertaker. Taker says Brett earned his respect at the 1996 Royal Rumble. A rare dip back in history for this company at this point. Uh, but he's sick of hearing about him being screwed out of the title. He says the belt is his because he got screwed back at that show. He sat back too long, but it's time for the belt to come to the dark side. He'll be the hunter and the hunted and puts him at Sean. Uh, will uh, take on Sean Michaels at WrestleMania. He can give his soul to Lord because the belt and the body belong to the Undertaker. Out comes Steve Austin. He stomps out. King is giddy to see him. He stops in the aisle where Jim Ross pops up. And Austin says he recognizes an ambush. And all he sees in the ring, and this is a pretty classic Austin line, are three crybabies and little boy blue. Uh, because as Vince is wearing his blue suit. Uh, he says they all just sit and piss and moan. But a Final Four, he'll take his opportunity at no DQ. And he'll throw their asses out again and take out Sean too. Austin goes to leave, but Vader and Paul Bearer are standing behind him. So he says, ah, fuck it. And he goes, I'll go to the ring instead. Uh, so he turns and heads to the ring. Uh, he balks a bit and then goes back. He walks past Vader. Uh, who Vader kind of barks at him. Uh, just a great segment. I mean, to me, Austin was on fire here. Uh, the highlight of all this, I thought Sean came off as a little bit more real. I know we struggle with him at times. Brett has, you know, made his intent clear. Taker, good to see him fired up again about the title. Uh, the, you know, three crybabies and little boy blue line's great. So I thought this was a really good hard sell for both Thursday Raw Thursday and Final Four, which we talked about WCW's big week with Nitro Clash, and sold out. We're getting one for Dirty F as well. Like we're gonna get Thursday or Thursday and Final Four right on the heels of it. So they have a big week coming as well. Um, and they're hyping both things at once. And I thought they did it well here. Like I think if you're a fan, you're coming out kind of excited for that week uh, out of this segment. You're thinking, okay, we get a big title match on Raw, and then you know the big match to determine who's gonna get the Mania title match on pay per view. Uh, I'm lower on this than you. I I didn't think it was bad, but. I didn't think it was really good either. I mean, it was serviceable. It just didn't have uh, much for me on the memorable side besides the uh, little boy blue uh, line. I, I thought Undertaker saying like that the hitman, he earned his respect with the rumble. It's like, all right, like this 30-minute <laughs> terrible match is what. what well, he took up to the limit. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, this was fine, but I, I did think this was more generic. It, it Part of it could be Sean issues, but um, also it, it's still, I mean, we're still marching towards Sean versus Brett here. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's it obvious we're still funny. headed that way. And I get, I mean, take or sit anyway, non title. I guess that was probably in the works. It seems like it, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think so. So. So Brett, Sean, Taker, Sid, Austin Bulldogs, kind of still where we're at. Right. All right. Uh, back to Nitro. Oh, uh, also one other quick thing. Vader, I thought, looked, I mean, I don't know. He, he was literally just like standing at the raw lettering and yeah. come to jump. So not great. Um, back to Nitro. Jeff Jarrett versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, I thought this was kind of savvy booking that you could say if you wanted to get real, like, inside baseball. Like, you could say that these were two of the only people that won uh, mm. from WCW side the night yep. before, and now Bischoff puts them against each other. 
Right. Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of cool. Now, whether they thought of that or not, but, you know, whatever. Uh, so I, good action between these two, in my mind. Eddie flips out of the monkey flip on his feet. That looks great. Tony says uh, they have a big surprise they're going to show later, something they've located. Larry Jared, wants to hush, hush, don't don't spoil a surprise. Right, right. Uh, Jared hits a swinging nightbreaker to gain the advantage. Uh, Jared is definitely working heelish here. Uh, he points to the head to show how smart he is. So, so you know, we kind of had some back and forth. Like, Jared, is he a face? Is he a heel? You know, it feels like he's pretty heel now, um, uh, unless he's facing somebody straight from NWO. So, yeah, so yeah. he kind of toes that line. Uh, Brainbuster from Eddie calls for the uh, frog splash. Um, one one thing I liked about this match was you kind of had uh, with with Jarrett working heelish. You had a good contrast because if you watch this match, his strikes are mostly punches, mm-hmm. technically an illegal move. Eddie, when he comes back, he fires back with a European uppercut, right? Legal, legal strikes. That I don't think is an accident. I think that shows like Eddie Guerrero is a great worker. Um, so uh, Jarrett catches him in the superplex. He calls for the figure four, and out comes Deborah dragging Mongo down the aisle. Uh, so Jarrett is punching uh, Eddie in the corner. Eddie kind of reverses, and Mongo's on the apron with the Halliburton. And Mongo whacks Jarrett <laughs> instead of Eddie with the Halliburton. He kind of yells at Deborah. Larry has a funny line where he says, Steve finally puts some pants on. <laughs> yeah. Relationship. Um, Jarrett wins by DQ. So Jarrett then rolls uh, to the outside and Deborah rushes over and raises his hand in a funny moment, too. Um, and then Deborah and Mongo leave with the camera following on. Deborah says, wait till we get home tonight. And uh, Larry again has a line where he says, that's why you keep them in the kitchen. So, so, right. uh, Out so of nitro. yeah, Him Larry, and Gene have thoughts about women ruining, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart's another big one. Women There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, women slander on this nitro. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a match, I thought it was fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought I thought it told a good story for what it was. And these are, um, I mean, Eddie Eddie's ninety seven is off to a good start, which it is kind of like for U.S. wise. In a lot of ways, is breakout year. Like, I mean, he done stuff in ninety five, ninety six. If you were really in tune with ECW, I think right. ninety five. But yeah. but but I mean, we'd seen him like he, he's he's building to his resume, and I thought this was a good match to pat it out. I went three stars. Very fun TV match. Yeah, it was it was a very good TV match for sure. Uh, fun one on paper too, and they've been two of the consistent best on Nitro. Like they're two of the guys that we really enjoy every time they're on. Almost like we've been talking Jared up since his debut, yeah. um, and Eddie's you know since we started this project, Eddie's been our guy. And you know Tony hyping the surprise, uh, a couple nice spots from Eddie with the I mean, I mean a couple nice hope spots from Eddie when Jarrett's working him over. I thought those were good. The superplex by Jarrett looked good, um, and then you get the finish. So yeah, I, I think it's been a good little good little match. I think he gets hampered by the rush setting. I'd like these guys to get time on pay per view. I think they could like these two on yeah, Super Bowl would be something I'd like to see yeah. um, if they gave him like you know fifteen minutes or something. Um, but they're both entertaining. It was a good showcase of both. The U.S. title division is kind of low-key loaded up, too, when you look at some of the guys that are in the mix as well. Um, and a good finish because you get the Mongo Jarrett stuff. You know, that's been one of our big angles. So I went two and three quarters in the match. Uh, you know, again, one I'd like to see more of, but was still very, very solid. 
All right. So we'll stick with Nitro because they kind of mm-hmm. flow right in. So uh, Tony, they let us know in the announcement book. Tony says now they can show the footage of how Hulk Hogan was beaten by Piper with the sleeper at Starcade. They're going to show that for the first time ever on broadcast TV. So they show the clip. He makes an appearance. He has he has a new line tonight. Uh, so it gets right to the part where uh, Randy Anderson is checking on Hogan, which again, like this is Randy Anderson. Keep that in mind. Like he's the official of this match, so that kind of plays in as well. Um, so it gets to the part where Anderson's raising Hogan's arms twice. He's going to raise it for the third time, and we get technical difficulties uh, where the the screen just goes. You know, staticky, whatever that's yep. off. Tony says, Can somebody tell me what happened? He gets word in his ear that someone's in the truck. Uh, it doesn't take very long to where we learn that it was Eric Bischoff that's in the truck. Eric actually comes running out onto the announce booth with the tape, says, Don't you ever pull a stunt like that again? You or anyone else in this organization. He demolishes the tape and stomps off. Uh, Larry has a funny line, gee, he can beat up a tape. Um, <laughs> go to break so i i again thought this was good i thought yeah. this is good in showing like eric has a lot of power um and he's kind of like a little napoleonic with the, his yep. abuse of power kind of running around as a tyrant but uh this was good eric to me like good eric on as far as him being an nwo and a fool for everybody else I, I mean, I, they're doing a great job of building him up as having unchecked unabashed power within this construct and if you know what's coming you know, as what they're going to do to combat that, it, it, it's really well built. Like, you can see it kind of coming, I guess, now in retrospect. Like, okay, they're building him up to have all this crazy power. Right. I'm the highest ranking official, this and that, that you know they're going to bring someone in, right, to check them, right? So that's yeah. going to come. And it's been, when that happens, it's going to, I think it's going to show well because it's like, oh, wow, okay, this is, they've really slow built, slow built, slow built, and now he's becoming just out of control, you know, stripping titles and, and doing whatever he wants at all times. So, all right, back to Raw we go. We get our Western Union rewind. It's crush beating Ahmed earlier in the night. Brings us to our match. Our next match, which is Doug Furness taking on the British Bulldog. So continuing this little tag team feud. Uh, Bulldog's out with Owen Hart and Clarence Mason. He's peacocking around. Vince says Ahmed is back stalking the nation with a two-by-four. Furnace is stoic. We get going. Owen's bragging on his bell. It's a slammy. Uh, we start with a back and forth, which is one by Furnace. He has a drop kick to clear out Bulldog. Bulldog comes back. Furnace keeps pouring it on. Some heavy strikes, a big vertical suplex. LaFon is at ringside. He keeps Bulldog in the ring as Furnace chops away. Bulldog dodges a charge. Furnace crashes to the corner and falls to the floor. Vince tells us that Furnace and LaFon will challenge Bulldog and Owen for the tag team titles at In Your House, Final Four. Bulldog slams the steps on Furnace outside. He goes into a handspring, which always pops me to celebrate. Uh, Vince tells us Ahmed has caught up with the nation. And after we after a break, we see where Ahmed kicked the locker room door down, but the room was empty. Um, this part was funny to me because it's like th- he finds this room with the giant Nation of Domination sign on it. Why was he searching for like 20 minutes? And oh, yeah. there's a room that like he should have went right to the room first, right? And then be searching for him. But... And Lawler immediately says, This is a big trap, you idiots. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <setting him up. laughs> 
uh, uh, Bulldog works the back. He cranks a chin lock, c- cuts off a comeback with a clothesline. Furnace blocks a pile driver. Bulldog gets a suplex or two back to a chin lock. Furnace breaks free, battles into a belly to belly. Bulldog counters a Rana with a nasty power bomb for two. Owen gets on the apron uh, with a slammy. LaFon ties up the ref, but Furnace shoots Bulldog. He hits it, bangs off the slammy, but Furnace only gets two. Uh, but a moment later, Furnace gets a sunset flip, and then Bulldog falls forward and cradles for the win, uh, which surprised me. We'll talk about it in a second. But Bulldog and Owen argue. Uh, Mason tries to cool them down. Vince wonders if there's an issue because Clarence Mason is so involved with the nation. He's kind of slacking with these guys. Uh, and then in a nice bit, I don't know if this is planned or not, we get a slow-mo of the slammy falling over. Yeah. And Vince says it's a bad omen for Bulldog and Owen, yeah. uh, the slammy toppling over, which I don't I don't think it was planned. I think it, no. it just happened, but yeah. it's a nice pickup. Uh, so this is fine. The problem is the raw format is so stale. We got this taped crowd. There's a low humming. Uh, we have sluggish spots. Like, there's no energy to any of this. And this, this is a match that should be good. Like, British Bulldog, Doug Furness, like, this should be three plus without them even you know, batting an eye. Um, I like the story, but the finish is wonky. Like, Furnace and LaFont are set up for a title shot. They keep losing singles matches. Like, why are they, you know, why should we believe in any way they're going to win the belts? But you have to protect Bulldog, and he's super protected because they're setting him up for Austin and Mania, ostensibly, right, is where we're headed. So I almost think they should have saved Furnace and LaFont and just fed some other team to Bulldog and Owen in the interim if you had to. Um, You know, made us run the Godwins one last time or something, but... It's like you're kind of making Furnace and the Fawn look like doofuses, and they can't even win a singles match. Now they're supposed to, you know, I guess they pinned him in Survivor Series, but beyond that, Bulldog and I would have dominated like anytime they really touched. So I ended up going two and a half. Like it was to me, it was very disappointing. Um, outside of the power bomb and, you know, Owen Stick, like there wasn't much here. Uh, this is about what I expected. I went two and a half, too. I mean, it was fine. Uh, but yeah, the same comment. I said, you know, decent match, but I mean, they're making Furnace and LaFon look awful. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, this this is the I don't know. You could put Owen in there, I think that'd have been better. Um, well, did we have Owen and LaFon, or maybe we're gonna get it? Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> uh I, I mean, there, there was some cool stuff here. Um, I like Bulldog with the steps, the power bomb you mentioned looked really good, and then he essentially pins him with the same movie does for SummerSlam 92. Yes. It's the same cradle, um, which is cool. I don't, I don't know how much he busted that out. It was, it was uh, kind of like a callback. Oh, in a vacuum, has- it's a good finish. Like it, it like if this is a regular random match, it's a, it's yeah. a really good finish, but yeah. like you're trying to set these guys up as your top contenders. I thought for sure or- we got, we got for, and they did it with the slammy. They had a, they had a yeah. ready communication. That's what made it the worst. Like right. even, if it was just that pin itself, it's like, okay. But, like, the fact that they run into each other and then Furnace rolls them up and only gets a two, and then you go to that finish, that that looked all. Meanwhile, LaFon's at ringside just kind of staring, watching all this happen, too. Like, when Owen gets on the apron, where was he at? What was he? It was it was all a mess. I, I – um, yeah, this this had kind of like bits and pieces you could sprinkle. Like uh, Owen had some funny lines. He says uh, he points at Lafon one time and says he gives Canada a bad name, like his lousy brother Brett. Um, and then I actually kind of like the Clarence Mason stuff a little bit because I was thinking the same thing. Like he's also like a weird. He is a weird fit. Like I know yeah. with Cornette gone. 
they were kind of stuck, but well, I think um, they wanted to put him in with Bullog and Owen. And I don't think they realized that he was a really good fit for the nation because I don't think the nation was a probably a concept quite yet to them when they joined Mason with Bullog and Owen. Yeah. Um, I think if they knew that they were going to put him with the nation, they would have never done that. They would have just kept Cornette or just made Bullog and Owen on their own. Um, that, that's what I think. I think he was like too good to pass up to have him with the nation, but they, they should have severed him with Bullog and Owen. Yeah, they got. I think the biggest issue with Bulldog, like right now in this moment, it's 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 mostly a Bulldog thing where he's almost involved in these three separate things. Like right. he has his comedy stuff internally with Owen. Like some of that stuff's kind of played comedically, where they're running into each other, the slammies, that that stuff. Then he has this like serious scientific tag team wrestling feud with Furnace and Lafon over the tag titles. And he's also still got this kind of like more heated personal brawl type issue right. with Austin. So he, he keeps coming in and screwing. Yeah, up. it doesn't feel diversified. It feels like from one second to the next, he's playing these drastically different characters. And you're like, what's, you know, like something like, tells me this is the final week. Um, maybe we'll be able to put it as a dropped angle soon. This yeah. is going to be the final week of Bulldog in Austin, I would think. Um, okay. Because. Thursday or Thursday is where everything changes, right? Mm-hmm. I got to think they were adjusting to Brett Austin by then. So yeah. this probably is it. Um, and they don't even interact here. So it's maybe it was already done. I don't know. But it was likely on its way out um, by this point. So that might be it anyway. All right. Uh, Nitro, we get an ad for the sold out shirt. I was like, who's buying that now? But uh, 20, uh, <laughs> 20 plus 595 still yeah. in Warwick, Rhode Island. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, then we got our Saturday Night Shield. It's Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy, Lex Luger versus Laparco, which I can't wait to watch that match. And uh, Glacier's in action as well. Uh, go to the ring. We get a debut on Nitro. It's Ultimo Dragon versus, I thought it was Bob Backlund running out there. For I know, right? Uh, Billy Pearl. Who Billy Pearl. Straight up circa 1980 Bob Backlund with the way he's dressed, mm. his tights. His, Does uh, not look intimidating in no. any way. Now, fun fact: We have seen Billy Pearl on Wrestling Warzone. Did you was know he that? in uh, World War Three? No, he was in um, is like Brian Myers or something. Like oh, that. yeah, on a on a Raw in October of ninety five. Oh, so, jeez, okay, you know I mean, yeah, five years. There you go, <laughs> real time. But yeah, so we'd seen Billy Pearl before. Uh, but there you go. Uh, Tony's talk. They're talking about Eric Bischoff on commentary. Tony says Eric could fire him, which, you know, kind of makes him nervous. So, again, talk about, you know, he has a real job, his real stakes and stuff right. like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, some chain wrestling here. Uh, Pearl actually gets a drop kick on the first exchange. Des Moines busts out a USA chant. Ultimo fires back with some kicks, but he misses his head spring elbow. Pearl gets a slam in. He goes up top, but Dragon catches him with a drop kick on the way down uh, and then very quickly hits a moonsault and a tiger suplex. So another very kind of like two and a half minute, mostly uh, squashy type match. I kind of a weird spot, I thought, for Pearl to be in this. Uh, I mean, I didn't get much of a read on him except he was kind of like your, you know, 1985 Tim Horner going out there at Techwood to uh, do the job. So I'm going to start in half. It wasn't what it was. A pure job, or I think they're probably going to use him as like um, 
kind of like using Billy Kidman, the Billies uh, right yeah. now is like on Saturday yeah. night, he'll probably pick up a couple wins maybe, or be competitive. And then the role on modern nitro is like a name that'll get worked over. Yeah. we I think we only see him one more time. But. Yeah. So, um, a lot of teasing to the giant Hogan could happen. So again, they're trying to use this hook to keep people tuning in uh, throughout the night that we may get Hogan giant again. Yes. So starting to have for me again, just, just a squash. I mean, really whatever Pearl's fine as a live body to beat around, I guess, but yep. that's about it. Um, all right. Back on raw. Vince is walking us through highlights from Madison square garden on Saturday. Salvio turned on Ahmed, joined the nation. We then go to shotgun from Webster hall where Salvio, uh, kind of explains that he didn't join the nation. He just says he just was a had a bit of a te- temper. Uh, he attacked Ahmed out of frustration. And tonight he's going to wrestle Rocky Maivia and show who he really is. And of course, during the match, the nation comes out. They sucker punch Rocky. Uh, and then he stands tall. So it's a quick fake out. I'm glad they didn't drag that out. Whatever, just put yeah. him in. Um, they beat the shit out of Rocky. And leave him laying. And uh, Vince had hyped Shotgun's big return to the Mirage this coming weekend. So. Yeah. Uh, that'll be coming up. Uh, I, I thought this was fine. It was, again, like solidify Salvio's heel turn. I think beating up Rocky is a good way to go about it. He's kind of a good, pure little face to take the beating. Um, you know, see if they got what they do with it out of this. Maybe he becomes an ally for Ahmed. We'll see. But uh, for now, not not too much cooking. Yep, not bad. Uh, so we uh, head back to Nitro. It's time for our big horseman interview. Uh, all four are there tonight. Uh, we mm-hmm. talked about how Flair wasn't on sold out. So he's here tonight. Deborah and Woman also there. Gene says he thought the horsemen were going to crumble, but things have turned around. Uh, we get a big mean woo, Gene, tonight. It's, uh, it's <laughs> one of the first big ones I can think of. Flair says they're in Des Moines, Iowa. He asked where Dan Gable is. <laughs> uh, the flash from the past. Uh, last week, they walked down without him. He could blame Benoit for his decision of love. Woman, you finally made the right choice in manhood, Flair says. So, you know, obviously, uh, always somebody that is uh, has his eye on the prize and mm-hmm. always makes a good decision when it comes to love. Right? Oh, yeah. He's known for his choices in female relationships. The, the standard bearer when it comes to uh, making marriage choices. Uh, Deborah Gale, you will have Deborah to, Gale! Yeah, you will have to do as Bongo says because we have to coexist. So another <laughs> know your place, woman. Uh, he then he did so he kind of been pretty face ish, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Then all of a sudden he turns that quickly and says, "Keep your mouth shut, fat boy," to somebody in the crowd. Uh, as he uh, hands over to Arn, Arn takes his turn on the microphone. He says to Jeff Jarrett, they don't speak English well in Tennessee, but Mongo sent a universal message tonight, and you know where you stand, and it isn't as a horseman. He says Benoit versus Sullivan was a page from the Horseman 1980s playbook. Uh, Mongo says, did you see the nail I drove into Jarrett's coffin? He tells the crowd to shut up, too. Deborah then gets on the mic, says that's just the way it's got to be. Deborah says she's always pulled for Chris to be a horseman 100%. Benoit wraps us up here. He says, Sullivan, it's his way or the highway. He's beating him at his game. It's time to let go. He's beating him mentally, physically, spiritually, the spiritual battle that Dusty was all excited about. Uh, you aren't going to win and taking everything he wanted to take. He's wanted to take it when he's wanted to take it. 
a point had to be proven, and tonight he doesn't need anyone backing him up for his matchup. He's going to the ring alone. Woman says she's a very happy woman. Deborah says, you know, we're ready to leave now, and <laughs> off they go. So this was another uh, United Horseman mm-hmm. interview. You know, as of now, it seems like everybody's getting along, the band's back together, etc. I thought it was good. It was fine. Yeah, I'm right in line with it. We, we should go back and count how many of these there were. There's been a lot. Really, a lot. the Jarrett, I mean, since Flair got injured, they wanted to keep him at most of the shows. Right. So, but yeah. you had the whole thing with the Jarrett recruitment, and now it's segued into this, like, basically. Really, really since thing. September, they pretty much yeah. every week on that show are doing one of these. Yeah. Uh, man at the clash. Yeah, I mean the standard Mongo saying he drove the nail into Jarrett's coffin, which I mean he didn't really do much, but okay. Uh okay, yeah, whatever. Flair's flair, you know, Arn making fun of people in Tennessee, uh, etc. Whatever. Uh so then we get a a very quick squash as Ron Powers, who's also a day review. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Powers. Uh Powers, versus, brother. Yeah, uh versus Lex Luger. Luger gets a quick shoulder block, forearm shot, and the rack. I mean, he wins this in like a minute. I went a half star. Yeah, I mean, mean, it's the standard just whatever. Like Luger beating a big guy to show that he can beat big guys. Uh, which we Even though he's not feuding with the Giant anymore, he's still beating big guys. Uh, Half a star for me, yeah, just a squash. Uh, Gene gets in the ring with him. Uh, Luger puts the support behind the Giant. He says NWO is a big problem. Him and Giant have mutual respect. Uh, Luger made his own mistakes, but we got to start trusting people if we're going to beat the NWO. And he's going to open the door. He's willing to be a friend to an old foe. So this is a really big moment. Uh, it establishes Luger as a leader. Establishes yeah. Luger as being the guy to bring Giant back in the fold. Put their past issues. And he's a guy that speaks from experience, right? Like, yep. he was someone that was frozen out. Uh, but Sting brought him in. And now he's going to do the same to Giant. And uh, show that he can he can let bygones be bygones to the better of the company. So uh, that's a really good Luger moment. Yeah, a, a pretty quick promo and uh, some kind of funny Luger stuff where he's like, "Stick that big twenty one through the door because I'm all ears." But uh, yeah, good moment for him. I, I enjoyed this. This was uh, something I didn't remember, but I liked it for character advancement on Luger's end. I'm looking forward to like if Luger starts doing something like, like he's really just been squashing big other than the giant of Starcade, He's just been beating big guys for like, yeah, I mean, and, he like, had a giant feud, but since then he's been uh, kind of in the world. Even before that, like you just, he beat big guys to set up world war three. Um, since Sting went in the darkness, he really hasn't done much, honestly. Well, I thought that was good direction, at least, because he was centered around his feud with the giant. But right. yeah, I, I, I got some fantasy booking where, with what happens at the end, I almost think you could have done like a pretty big Luger Giant versus Outsiders tag team feud. Right. Um, I don't kind of know why they didn't go that direction. Oh, we may. All right, let's get to our main event on Raw, and that's Vader and Mankind taking on the Godwins. Uh, Paul Bearer's new creepy crew come out. Uh, we get clips from a Toronto press conference where Tiger Ali Singh was revealed to be joining the WF. He's the son of Tiger Jeet Singh. Um, any thoughts on the big signing? Of, they made a big deal out of this. Yeah, well, we talked about it. I mean, this was a big Observer story mm-hmm. about a month ago. I mean, it was for uh, international purposes. Yeah. Tiger Jeet Singh, I've been watching a lot of him in New Japan in the early 1980s, and he's not good. And Neither was his son. So No, not good at all. They try, but... 
I mean, they're really like they're trying to the international piece, trying to like go into the Rocky stuff too. You know what I mean? Where he's yeah. like, you know, that whatever they they had the one third third generation guy, and now they're trying with this guy. Like they're really trying to cash in their chips on these sons of great wrestlers. Yeah. So and, right, you know, whatever, great. Uh, Vince also hypes with the Femme Nikita coming up next, and again his favorite pastime of all these days shits on Robin Hood uh, while doing it. They take so many shots at Robin Hood. <laughs> he really hated Robin Hood. Uh, Big Phineas and Mankind start off with a tepid slugfest. Vince says next week is Royal Rumble Raw. For the first time since 1989, the Royal Rumble match will be on network TV, thanks to USA. We will see matches from the Sky Dome, plus the Royal Rumble match in full. Uh, we get Henry, Hank tags in. Him a, and Man- yeah, go quick ahead. question on that. Where did it air in 1989? I think he meant 88. Okay. I think he meant the 88 wondering. Rumble on USA. Yeah, I was I like, well, did it air on prime time? No, like, I mean, time? I don't think so, yeah. but I think he screwed up the year. Okay. I also don't know if they deliver on this because um, I don't I don't think we get the whole Rumble on that Raw. So I don't know if they were planning to do it and then decided not to. I'm not sure what, what went awry there, unless they show it after or something. But I'll we'll have to track and see. Uh, all right, him and uh, Hank and Mankind trade punches. Vader wants to tag in, but Mankind keeps rocking and resetting, stays in the ring. Mankind dumps Phineas outside, shoots him back in before Vader can pounce. They stare at each other. Paul tries to rationalize with them. Vader tags himself in. He mauls Phineas with some hard strikes and a stiff clothesline. King is not shut up about the fucking Patriots the whole night. Like He talks about them constantly. Mm-hmm. Mankind tags himself in now, hammers away at Phineas. Uh, Phineas roars back. Mankind goes to the mandible claw. Hank comes in and breaks it up with a clothesline. And him and Foley both uh, tumble to the floor at a good spot. King mocks Arkansas as Vader holds Mankind. Phineas can't suplex him back in. Mankind and Vader work together. They throw Phineas outside. Hank makes a save. All four th- guys are throwing down. Some really good offense in there. They're hitting each other pretty hard. We get a George Mirasan sticker slam of the week during the break. It's Ahmed splattering Hunter Helmsley with a spine buster on Superstars. We find out Ahmed will challenge Hunter in your house for the IC title. After the break, Mankind's clawing away on Phineas, misses a charge. Hank is in, wrecks both guys with clotheslines, gets the back suplex on Vader. Vader dodges an elbow, drops his own elbow to the ribs and groin, knocks Hank to the floor. Phineas ties up the ref as Mankind grabs a chair. Hank ducks, and Mankind smashes Vader by accident, and Vader is counted out. Paul Bearer barks at Mankind as Mankind smiles and walks away. King thinks Mankind had time to stop, but he did not. Um, this is a pretty good little Haas battle. I actually didn't mind it. This is when the Godwins are kind of at their best, actually. Like, I feel like Henry's had a couple of decent matches with Vader, with Mankind, like, where he just throws down, makes it a slug fest. Um, I do think Vader looks woken up and fresh in this new push, but we'll talk about the finish in a sec. Um, Henry seems motivated too. I thought it was a decent closer. I think Vader and Mankind could cause some waves if they could figure it out. Um, I like the story. Like, Paul's doing anything he can to get these guys on the same page, but they're both maniacs. So I went two and three quarters. Um, but again, similar to Bulldog, like, Vader is a week and a half out from Final Four. Yeah. And it feels like Bulldog, where they almost... We went from very one-dimensional stories in 96, where a guy had one thing going on, and that was it. And we've kind of been excited where we have m- multiple things happening. But what it's leading to is they have, they have different guys in different positions. Like, different guys doing two different things that are or dichotomies from each other. So Vader is trying to do this friendship with mankind, become a dominant monster team, losing to the Godwins. But he's also in this final four match where he's supposed to be a top title contender. So yeah. it's very similar to what they got going on Bulldog. 
Yeah, that was my main problem with this. I, I went two and a quarter. I thought there was a few moments of fun uh, where especially Hank and uh, Vader on the outside, mm -hmm. they have a pretty wild brawl right before they go to the final break. Um, the finish itself worked out pretty good where live it's like, man, that, that kind of looked yeah. bad. Like <laughs> he definitely moved out of the way. But then when they show the replay and they talk about it on commentary, it makes sense. Like, well, did mankind have time to stop? and he just didn't, or, you know, what's going on, this kind of unholy alliance that they have going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's not much, um, there's just not been much description on what brought these two together besides Bear right. and why and what the goal is. Like, what's the objective? Why are they together? Uh, Vader has this world title match coming up so why you know right. it feels like another thing they should have started two weeks later like yeah let him get through final four and then paul says hey like i have an idea now that you've you know not won that match or whatever why don't we try and go for the tag titles and you and mankind team up or whatever yeah phineas spitting up in the air and then slicking back his hair is <laughs> classic hillbilly awful always uh awful. So we wrap with Vince hyping in your house, but it gets cut off because Ahmed finally catches the nation. They're loading up their car. He comes swinging. He puts one of PG-13 in the trunk, and the car takes off, and Vince hypes up the big Royal of Raw uh, from the Sky Dome next week. So I didn't mind the finish. The, like, the way he actually chucks him pretty good. Like, he yeah, stuff him for him in the, the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that wasn't a bad finish, I guess. It was all right. We never saw Farouk besides after the – and right, showed up in the aisle. Yeah. So, do we want to do do we do the Raw Awards, or are we going to wait? I forget. You want to do them now? We'll wait. We can wait. Okay. A uh, little Come Requiem, on. I guess, with the one-hour Raws. I mean, they've been with us for a year and a half. <laughs> like, stale taping, a lot of rough rough episodes, real doldrum episodes. You know, so we'll see. I, I didn't. I wasn't too sad to see it come to an end. Um, no. I like that they're doing concepts already. Like, next week, Raw Rumble Raw. We're going to be at Skydome. That's already a huge building. Like, we're going to run... That's WrestleMania 6 that they're running. You know, like, the Skydome for a Raw. Um, or whether it's a Raw or a house show, whatever it's going to be, they're going to show clips from it. And they're going to show Rumble stuff. So, they're trying different stuff. We know the week after that's Thursday, Raw Thursday. They have a world title match planned. So, we already got kind of big stuff pegged for our first... And we also know the week after that is a two-hour episode where Sid um, is going to... Uh, or whoever the champion is, I should say, is going to uh, defend or something. Right? I think they have something planned for that week. So they, uh, you know, they already got some big stuff planned for to have different concepts for these new Raws. Right. All right. Our number two with Nitro sounds off. It's uh, Tony, Tanae, Bobby. They lead us in. Uh, Tony lets us know we may see Hogan versus Giant in this hour. They recap hour one with what was going on with the Steiners and Bischoff. Uh, Do you have any notes on that? No, nothing. Else. And then we go to our first match of hour number two, which is the amazing French Canadians versus Arn Anderson and Mongo Baby. Uh, so singing of the Canadian national anthem, of course, Tony says he, you know, the jock's like, I'd appreciate if y'all all, you know, be respectful. Tony says, I'd appreciate if they could sing the anthem for the change, the actual anthem. <laughs> right. uh, they get through their song. And Bobby says they aren't the Isley brothers, but they have a distinctive style. Um, so we're here. This is the end of the road. This is the last Arn Anderson match. That's um, crazy. Which is sad. I'd be interested to read in the torch or observer whether they knew or what was going on. Cause I was looking 
to see if there was something obvious here, but um, didn't really see anything. Is he on TV? He stays around. That's something no? I wonder too. Yeah, I mean, I think he stays around a little bit, but yeah, right. He just got a second, like, yeah, on the outside. Because I mean, we don't do the retirement. That's not until what August. So mm, August, September, yeah, right? yeah, his spot is yeah, yeah August. So. Uh, so uh, Jock suckers Mongo on the apron. The amazing French Canadians do an immediate two-on-one attack on Arn. Ouellette throws him over the top rope, which would have been a DQ, but the referee was distracted. Colonel Robert Parker gives him boots on the outside. Uh, I thought of a very interesting start. It was like the amazing French Canadians were more aggressive than we've seen from them, which I appreciated. Yeah. Uh, Arn tries to find out of the corner, but he gets double teamed. Heart attack clothesline from the amazing French Canadians with Olette hitting that in the anvil roll. Uh, Tony says he's never seen Arn beaten around like this. Double stun gun. Jocks taunting Mongo on the apron. Arn and Orlette, uh hit head-to-head. That gives Arn a chance to tag in Mongo. He does make the tag. Mongo shockingly has a really good hot tag here. Uh, he like a ball. Yeah, he lariats both of them. Hits the football stance clip. Back body drop. Uh, he does a, a power slam to Jock, which looks exp- uh, impressive, but uh, Olette catches him. Double clothesline sends both of the amazing French Canadians down. Robert Parker throws the flag in the ring, uh, but when Curtis uh, gets that and sends it out of the ring, Mongo is able to use the Halliburton to pick up the win. Uh, shockingly fun match to me. I didn't expect anything out of this. Um, and I'm not like the amazing French Canadians. I thought this no. was the best they looked, and I thought it, it it carried a different structure from what I was expecting, where like the horsemen were really um beaten up a lot. Now I, I do see there's some issues where and I mean we talked about it on the interview. It's like are they face or are they heel? There's still some definite murkiness yeah. there where they're telling the crowd to shut up, fat boy. As the horse, you know, Mongo's yelling at the crowd, and then he gets the face, you know, face it right. The hot tag, yeah. Uh, so a little weird there. Um, but as a match, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Two and three quarters for me. Bobby, I think Mongo's getting good uh, after he wins, which he is. I mean, he's come, come, making progress. Look good. Yeah, they they did the right approach of them. They've stuck them in tag teams with like two of the greatest workers in the company, and just right. and just exclusively been doing that. So of course he's going to learn by osmosis, you know. Um, right. And he's a good enough athlete. So uh, this is fine. It had a good start. The quick pace. The crowd was into it. Mongo was good clean in house at the end. I thought it looked strong. Um, the Canadians, like you said, for once didn't slog things down. Uh, a lot of talk still about Hogan Giant throughout the match too. Uh, two and a quarter for me. All right, come back from break. We get our road report. Lee Staggerly Marshall's in Memphis. He helps up a big nitro party at BB King's. Next week's show is at the Mid South Coliseum. He talks about the local flavor and says there's a hunka hunka burning weasel going on at Graceland. So there you go. There go. Uh, the NWO music starts up. Out comes the Outsiders in six. I made a note here just when I saw them come down because we haven't seen just them three come down that much. Mm. And um, we'll have to track when they actually first start saying Wolfpack. Right. It, yeah. Has it hasn't happened yet. Uh, someone in the crowd has uh, cut in NWO in their haircut, which uh, Bobby has a uh, line like, oh, that'll catch on, I'm sure, which was kind of funny. Have um, you even started uh, doing the click symbol yet, really? No. 
Yeah. Not much. That must come they, with that must come with the wolf pack thing, really. They, yeah, like they they do sometimes, like when they're really like hot dogging, but it's not like but it's not like a thing where it's like an obvious thing that they do. Um, yeah, I think it's when the wolf pack stuff around that time because I think they kind of make it like it's a wolf. I mean, Dibiase still was almost doing like the hook'em horns. He was still like right. very like not. Yeah. It was prominent. Uh, so uh, they're ready for their tag team match. Upstart stunning Steve Austin's music <laughs> from 1994. We're going to track this. So we're going to track this because this song gets so much play over the next few years at WCW. It is every yes. jobber's song. Um, we're going to track how many people use this song. Yeah. Uh, and out comes The Extreme, who is uh, Ace Darling and Devin Storm. First look at these guys. Uh, so Tanae kind of rattles off some of their indie credentials real quickly. This is just a uh, dismantling by the outsiders, of course. I mean, this, you know, we talked about and sold out like the bits with the Miss NWO and how that was like them doing uncool stuff, that and the entrance of the whole pay per view. The, they've done good tonight and like anything being lame has been Bischoff's overuse of power. And it's been like the good portion of that. And like this, like being kind of a bait and switch, but not really, Hey, we're defending the tag team belts, but it's against these jabrons that were beaten up. Like, I like that. I think that's like the good kind of bait and switch that they could do. Right. Uh, they dominate hall hits the fall away slam. Uh, Nash absolutely kills. Uh, I think it was, was it Dar Darling with a clothesline, sidewalk slam, the mm -hmm. outsider edge from Hall. Hall pins them with one foot. So a straight squash. I, I went a star. I mean, it was it was what it was. It was a straight squash, but it was an entertaining segment for what they were trying to accomplish. It felt like a little bit of a reset for a lot of guys. You know, we, we talked about earlier with Giant, I think with Luger, with these guys. It feels like we're kind of resetting after sold out to start the next real long stretch. Sold out felt. Sold out for like a bridge because like Starcade kind of like the end of the journey for a bit and then sold out almost I guess felt a little bit like the start, but almost just like an interlude. Uh it feels like now we're really gonna kick off like the big spring stories uh here. So we're kind of resetting everyone. It's a showcase for the outsiders. Again, we're using Bischoff's power, they get a scrub match. Um the swag of the outsiders this is completely unmatched right now, wrestling like they're our next level. Um we found out it was in Jacksonville in two weeks. Tony tells us that. Uh, you know, Tanae talks about the extremes, big success of the Northeast Circuit. Like I don't, know, I guess uh, they were they were getting it done, Devin Storm and uh, and Darling. But uh, Storm obviously stays around, right? I think he's there from here to the end. I, I don't know if he goes right into jobber mode for a bit before they give him his gimmick. But um, I don't know about Darling. Does Darling hang around too? No. Um, I mean, they were certainly like. In PWI around this time, I remember because you know, I started getting magazines in right. like 97, 98, and you would see like them, Reckless Youth, Cheetah Master, like mm -hmm. they they were they were part of that kind of crew. Um, so it was what it was. Yeah, it looks like uh Storm kind of is in and out. He actually has a cup of coffee. Uh, he's on a shotgun Saturday night in okay. August. So he pretty much remains in the Indies till he becomes, you know, crowbar in right. okay. WCW later on. 
All right, what is next? Oh, I mean, just uh, <laughs> so uh, Joe Gomez versus Kevin Sullivan. It's a 45-second match. Tony lets us know tickets are still on sale for Super Brawl. Well, that was a little surprising. San Francisco is always a weird market, it feels like. Um, I don't know, it's tough to get a gauge on. But, yeah, this is a 45-second match. Sullivan beats him up. He throws him on the outside. He actually throws a chair at his head, and then he uh, puts him back in and wins with a double stomp. I want a quarter star. <laughs> Muted. Sad on it. Uh, it's quite the parade of talent here tonight. Gomez coming out on top of those other guys. Uh, Nitro, the next night after Super Bowl, is going to be in Sacramento. So they plug both of those tickets. Um, yeah, it's, just a squ- it's a parade squash tonight. Like I said, it feels like a hard reset. We, we have angles burning, but we're almost like resetting all these guys, just showcasing them, letting them get big, strong wins. And, and it's funny because on the heels of that article from Keller about the like setup of these shows changing, we get a Nitro that's almost predominantly squash matches up and down uh, for the most part. So it was interesting setup that, you know, he talked about how that was like kind of the older ways, but it's a Nitro that's kind of low-key filled with them here tonight. So a quarter star for me is the Sullivan getting ready for Benoit. No, uh, yeah, not much luchador talent. Um, no. This was the one that I thought, though, like, I mean, this was like a two-minute segment, so it was what it was, but this was... Do you think there was, was like... um? Filler. They said it was like snowy out. I wonder if they couldn't get guys in from Mexico, like because they probably didn't have them as sold out. So they were maybe going to fly in for the Nitro and couldn't because he said it was. I mean, it happened last week too in the United Center. Well, Parker yeah. had his yeah. issues. Um, yeah. So maybe it was a travel yeah. thing. So they, you know, bringing these other guys or whatever, extreme. And we'll even see another one in a minute. Like, or maybe they're just trying to establish you. Maybe it's like that fall of 96 WF thing, right? They're trying to set up these new guys, like. The one we'll see in a minute, Billy Pearl, the extreme, like maybe they're trying to set up good dudes that'll win some stuff on the weekends and put over guys on Nitro. Or they panicked and they couldn't get uh, guys from Mexico and had to just bring in dudes to the Northeast. Yeah, maybe. Uh, NWO music, it's Hogan, uh, Miss Elizabeth, and Bischoff. They, uh, Liz retreats as they get into the ring. Um, Tony lets us know that she's in distress. We do get a little caveat on Hogan's music here. He's still using the NWO theme, but we have the uh, mm. disembodied voice now shouting out. He's the biggest icon in all of wrestling. So that's a nice touch there. The biggest, uh, biggest new world order. Yeah. Biggest icon in all of wrestling. I always like that. Uh, so uh, Bischoff recaps the sold out match. It's a completely warped view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, too, Hogan wants to change sides. He starts out to Bischoff's right hand side and he changes. I, I don't know. I guess he thinks he has a good look, better looking side. Um, so uh, Bischoff says, uh, Savage, Piper, now Giant all couldn't get it done. Hogan gets over the mic. He lets us know what we have here is a failure to communicate. No one's in the same league as Hollywood. He studies his opponent. He drugged the stupid, dumb giant through technical moves and reverse fireman <laughs> carries. All he could do. Olympic wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. All he could do was say, Hollywood, you are the greatest. Uh, he goes down a long list of has-beens with Piper and Savage and anyone else that gets in the ring with Hollywood. Bischoff says he knows Hogan wants vacation and, uh, you know, has stuff lined up, but, you know, will he answer the Giants' challenge? Hogan talks about his new Warner Brothers commitments, shouts out his next movie. Shadow uh, yes, Soldiers. 
Yes, but he will accept the challenge tonight. Uh, at that point, we see Savage and Sting in the crowd together. Macho's wearing black and red. Uh, Sting kind of points his bat at Hogan. Hogan says, you know, our Stinger has laid it all out. Macho Man might have seen the light and the missing link we've been looking for. Bischoff then says, hey, you know, Macho Man, there's not a place for you in WCW, but, you know, if you want to talk NWO business, we can talk. Have you guys contact my guys. Uh, so they kind of go away. Uh, and uh, Hogan's doing his posing routine. He says his posing routine will make everyone see how beautiful Hollywood is. And he will beat up the giant nine days a week for free because it's easy pickings. I I love this, actually. I thought this was like Hogan's inflated ego, like pompous, you know, in his own universe. You stuck up his own ass. Like, this, this was great to me. Like, he was totally, like in love with himself and like yep. completely narcissistic and it didn't overstay its welcome. He had some funny lines. So uh, I really enjoyed this segment. It was good. Yeah. And I like that he keeps accepting these challenges. Like they make it like, Oh, no way Hogan will accept it. He's a pussy, but and he keeps saying yes, but I, it's because they always have tricks up their sleeves, right? Oh yeah. We'll accept the match tonight on free TV. Um, blah, blah, blah. But you know, they're going to have the troops immediately show up and beat the shit out of them, probably. Uh, but it's, you know, I, we'll see. I think this needs to be the last one, though. I think they've gone to the well now a few times with this. Like, stay with us. We're going to get Hogan Giants. And, like, you only get so many shots at this one. So this this should be the last one of the, where they do this, where they make a Hogan Giant match during the show and then, you know, tease you to the end. So hopefully this is it. All right. Uh, go back to the announce booth. Bobby knows it's uh, Savage. He says he's the most driven and determined athlete you'll find in the, any sport. Bischoff doesn't want him going after the NWO. He knows Savage has Hogan's number. So that's why, like, he's now saying, okay, like, you can join our team. Right, right. Uh, that leads us to our next match, Dean Malenko versus Jerry Flynn. Uh, Dean has the beard going tonight. Uh, they talk about how Dean's been on a roll on commentary. Flynn gets a quick kick, sending Dean down, but he kind of whiffs on a kick in the corner. But I like when he goes back inside, Malenko kind of no-sells it, and he's on the attack immediately with a belly-to-belly. Um, I thought that was a good kind of point in Dean's favor. As you know, we, we said we wanted to track this as his number one in PWI 500 year. Um, that, that was good. Like him, you know, recognizing that the kick didn't hit good and he's immediately on offense. Uh, Flynn does get some more offense in, some punches to the body of Dean. He misses a charge but kicks Dean coming off the top rope. Hits a power slam for a near fall, uh, but then goes for another kick. And Dean worked a little bit on the leg. Um, and when he ducks the kick, he locks on the cloverleaf, picks up the win. So this, this was, uh, again, another three-minute match. It was a little little more competitive than what we'd seen uh with the other kind of squash matches um i thought it was fine for what it was i went two stars yeah this was fine i mean flynn was the other guy i was talking about like these random dudes suddenly showing up that they're giving matches to so again is it an anomaly or are they trying to just build up a little army of guys that they can roll out on nitro with names to, to put put dudes over um a lot of hogan giant talk of course malenko is red hot um Tonight talks about the history of Hogan and Giant matches. It says Giant always dominates, but they can't win yet. Um, 
you know, Dean finishes the Cloverleaf. I thought Flynn had some decent offense. He's perfect for these kind of matches. Um, another showcase and a night of them for Dean. So two stars for me. Uh, back to the announce booth. Tony says they're tired of hearing about the Pythons. This will be the fourth time uh, Mike Tanay says this fourth time Giant has gotten in the ring with Hogan. Yep. Uh, Bobby uh, is talking. He basically spits out a sentence, and we see a cop just come up to the announce booth, hands Tony a letter, and says it must be opened immediately. Bobby lets him know he's canned. And uh, in a great touch, Tony is like, well, it might be. And Bobby's like, yeah, I'm serious. And Tony says, I need to look at this before I, you know, read it out for the audience because he doesn't know what he'll say. Uh, he gets excited as he starts to read it. He stands up and he's like, give me the house mic. He uh, announces to the house mic and says, we're announcing this to you and to Nitro. We just received a telegram from the executive committee that because of the recent conduct of Hulk Hogan and our review of the rights of his contract, uh, based upon unanimous approval of the championship committee, he must defend his heavyweight title at Super Brawl, and it will be against Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, so that gets a big cheer from the crowd. Tony lets us know a copy of this uh, <laughs> telegraph will be sent to each member of the committee as well as Ted Turner. Um, I, I thought that was a decent, I, I like that touch of the Ted Turner just because it's like right. Bischoff has been so like power stricken throughout mm -hmm. this whole show, talking about like I'm the highest ranking officer of WCW's committee and whatnot. But, you know, he doesn't outrank Ted Turner. So like no. he really can't back out of this one um, based on what's happened. I thought that was a cool little touch. The crowd starts chanting rowdy. Um, this was a cool announcement. I like the way this was done. It felt different. Um, everything about this, I thought was well done. Yeah, me too. Uh, do you think it kind of came out of nowhere though? Or do you think it's been established off that Piper? Cause I feel like they haven't really talked about Piper. Like, a, like they do with the Gaelic they stuff, mostly... but they haven't really teased that yeah, he's like in they, the mix they, potentially. They, it kind of comes out of nowhere. They've been good to mention him. I think it had to be him. Um, because like we talked about with the giant, like they went to that well too much. Yeah, you can't um, do giant again. And you know, they're not ready for whatever's going on with Sting and Savage. Uh, you could have done Luger. You could have maybe done Luger, but I, I didn't Well, I like to do him Piper again because he won, so he should get a He has the win over him, right. I just feel like they haven't established that Piper wants it. Like so the way they announce it like implies that Piper's on board, but last we saw Piper, he was like, I'm done, you know? So well, I think they, they should have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I thought they did good at least saying like, it's not Piper necessarily challenging. Like they mentioned on commentary. Right. They're like Tony right. at one point's like, can we get in contact with him? And Bobby's like, he may not be in the country. Well, he could be that's what they should have said. Instead of saying Piper will challenge Hogan, they should have said the executive committee wants Piper to challenge Hogan, but we need Piper to, uh, approve or accept so we got to see what he's going to do that's that would have been a minor tweak it's nitpicking but it's just like the whole story's been that piper doesn't want to wrestle and now suddenly they're just blindly announcing that piper's getting yeah. a title match yeah today even mentions he was like after starcade piper said he was retired so right the risk was too they high they could have done that they could have said like yeah. like um, pending Piper's approval. That's it. Yeah, just something minor like that, where you just kind of yeah. hint that it's not a lock. 
Um, it, it is a lock if Piper wants it. It's his if he wants it, right? They could have said, like, they're holding the main event slot for Piper if he wants it. Right. Okay. Uh, time for our next matchup. Hugh Morris versus Chris Benoit. Tony says, you know, he's feeling good about being a part of WCW. Uh, they, these two went after each other again. Uh, they fire away with some good strikes. Morris hits a clothesline to the back of the head. Bobby says he can't hear, wait to hear Hogan snore once again. Big power slam from Hugh Morris. Um, Tony asked if there's any way to get in touch with Piper tonight. So again, like they're, not saying it's a you know slam dunk, I guess. A stiff clothesline from Benoit, an aggressive kick out from Hugh Morris. Uh, he goes for the no laughing matter, but misses. Benoit goes for the headbutt, and then we get a mystery woman hopping the rail. They call her a fan on commentary. Woman screams at her, what are you doing here? Security and Dillager uh, get in between. They send the woman out. While all this is going on, Kevin Sullivan's in the ring. He hits Benoit with the wooden chair as a receipt for what uh, he got hit with the wooden chair the week before. Uh, the mystery woman smiles at Kevin Sullivan and they walk to the back while Jimmy Hart is confused. Uh, they do an interview, but we'll we'll get to that. How do you mm-hmm. think the match debut and everything else was? I What did I end up going for this? Two and a quarter maybe? I was starting to half. I mean, it wasn't even much of a match, honestly, um, until the, the whole thing with uh, the mystery woman comes in. Um, you know, woman clearly recognizes her. They're arguing uh, into the finish with Sullivan and then leaves together. So I think it made sense to introduce a new concept to this feud because it's been the same for so long. Having Sullivan now have like a woman of his own to combat woman and show that he's moved on and now he's going to take her out. Like, I think it makes sense. I like Tony's tease too. Like he says, watch all weekend because we may break news of Piper's response. So it's a good little low key way to try and get people to tune into Saturday night, et cetera. By make, I mean, obviously we're not going to break the news there, but at least maybe put it in your head that they're worldwide. Good. Yeah. You never know. Uh, pro the pro. Uh, so star and a half for the match. Um, but yeah, you want to get to the interview? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll say like this woman's Jacqueline, uh, would be Jacqueline, uh, Miss Texas is what you would know her from if you were watching. I, I had no familiarity with her when she came on, but uh was interesting. Um, also interesting, we're about to get to debut kind of like this on the WWF side. I think it's interesting that, like, WCW, like, did they know? <laughs> because Curtis Hughes was already out by this point. Right. All right, his one appearance. And so... It's it's kind of kind of interesting how they uh, beat him to the punch. Anyway, interview with Gene. He asks who this woman is. Kevin says none of your business. Kevin says they do know each other. Gene asks how well. Kevin says that's the past. Uh, Jimmy, like we mentioned, smells like not, trouble. Not smells like trouble. Smells Women like in WCW trouble. are only problems. Only problems. Yeah, look what happened with the horseman with Deborah and woman. He says he's watching day of the lot days of our lives. And he's been there before. Uh, the mystery woman says trouble, trouble. I stayed away, but I couldn't. When Nancy hit you over the head with that chair, that was it. 10 years ago, you made a decision. That was a big mistake. I will never do you like that. Sullivan backs up Jimmy's concern and says, yeah, I mean, there has been a lot of drama going on around here with the women lately. Um, she then says, uh, don't say her name and don't put me in the same category as woman and Deborah. 
She says Nancy looked like a fugitive from the fat farm. She You're calls really fat jokes, a poor woman. <laughs> it's ridiculous. A bleach blonde bimbo and wears long dresses because she has legs like a chicken. Jimmy, come here, honey. You are the greatest manager today, but you can't give him what I could give him. Uh, Tony, when she says that line, has a great like <laughs> commentary. Gina he, shook you know, too. He's like uh, he's yeah. rattled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she's kind of giving him comfort and a rub down as they uh, head to the back. So, so an interesting, you know, they're obviously insinuating that Sullivan picked woman over this now mystery woman, and now she's kind of come back into the picture to uh, provide him comfort. I like it. I, I think it again. It made sense to add that extra piece. The promo's fine. I mean, Jimmy with his. 1950s <laughs> him and larry still live in 1953 um but it was fine beyond that and you know it's the usual solving mysterious stuff and i don't think this was because of what was going to happen with hunter i think this was probably planned for them to bring in uh a woman like this and i mean i was familiar with miss texas a little bit just from pwi and stuff because she was pretty prominent uswa and and stuff yeah. so like they they talk about her quite a bit and her fighting men like it was a kind of a big deal in the mid nineties that she was fighting with men on and uh, Memphis and stuff. So. So time for our main event, Ted and Vincent are out with Eric and Hogan this time. Hogan gets on the mic. He's more pissed than he was the uh, earlier, you know, now that they've made this Piper announcement, he says, no one tells him what to do. He'll beat giant one more time, bring Piper out too. He says, you know, it'll take a handicap match. So uh, that, that was Interesting again, an interesting approach, but um, that you know, so basically, like Giant comes out, he immediately Vincent attacks him, so it's it's a two on one attack. He uh, Giant throws Vincent out of the ring, he rams Hogan's head into the turnbuckle, gives him some chops. Uh, he chokes him with the boot, which was a very cool camera angle where you can see how big uh, Giant's foot is, and it was large. Um, Hogan goes to the eyes. He mounts a little bit of offense, gets closed on the corner, but Giant responds with some chops and forearms, backbreaker. Vincent puts Hogan's legs on the ropes. Uh, on commentary, I thought this was a decent note where they're talking about, you know, why doesn't the Giant just go for the choke slam? And Tony mm-hmm. admits, like, he knows if he calls for it, that's going to send out the troops. Right. Uh, yeah. But eventually, like, Vincent's in the ring, and he clotheslines him out. Then he sets up the choke slam. Bischoff gets in the ring, has a hilarious, like, firing double X hammers to the back of Giant to no avail. Um, Giant grabs Bischoff, and now here comes out the Outsiders. You know, we saw none of the NWO B squad on this show. Yeah, I didn't realize either. And they were all in Iowa. We know they were there. They were all in Iowa. There's no Buff. There's no Wall Street. There's no Norton. There's no um, Bubba. Like, it's, it's very interesting here. Um, so, Giant grabs Bischoff. Out comes the Outsiders. The Giant gets beat down until Lex Luger comes in the ring. He's wearing a WCW Monday Nitro shirt. And we go off the air with Giant standing next to Luger, uh, you know, looking like they're going to create a tandem and go after the Outsiders. Nothing physical happens, but they're standing side by side. And Luger's kind of made good on his promise from a little bit, but they do try and tease just a bit because Luger's got the shirt on, 
And that's usually a tell. Like, is he gonna? Is he has a nitro shirt on? Is he gonna rip it off? Have the NWO shirt under it? And they're all kind of pointing at each other. So I don't know. Like they did. I think they left this trying to tease a little bit, just a little bit that maybe Luger has like set up the giant and is actually um, in the NWO. I think them not getting physical was good. I I thought the shirt, whether it was strategic or not, it was a sleeveless kind of muscle shirt. So right, probably not. I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. He just never wears it. I mean, he wrestled there. Why would he have the shirt on? Like, I think they were trying to tease a little bit, like maybe there was the NWO shirt under there. But um, it was fine. Again, just a segment. I mean, I like the tease. I like, I like, you know, but this is just more of the same. Like, this is why they need to be done with Hogan the Giant. Like, it's been the same every time. On the pay-per-view, it's been a long plotting match with a non-finish uh, or a shaky finish. On TV, it's been this, like, random fight into the DQ. Like, we're done. We don't. January's been Hogan Giant out. Like, we're good. Um, you knew what was coming. And I think we're starting to see it a little bit. Like one of the big criticisms of this era was, oh, you just know every main event, people are conditioned to look to the aisle. Here comes the NWO, fuck finish, right? And uh, are we starting to see the early vestiges of that here with this feud where it seems like, okay, now the NWO keeps coming out, attacking Giant, DQ in the main event. Like this starts to become the trend uh, that becomes a, you know, weekly thing for a while. So we'll see. This might just be a blip, but... I don't know if we're actually starting that run yet or not. Right. Um, all right. And get to our awards. Yep. All right. Let's do Nitro first. Uh, match of the night. I had a Guerrero and Jarrett. Uh, Nitro first, right? Yeah. Guerrero yeah, and Jarrett. Yeah. Uh, the moment I went Tony announcing the, well, oh, fuck him announcing Piper's title shot was good. It's always Bischoff firing Anderson though. Uh, I don't know. What are you, what are you going with? Uh, I actually think there's three contenders because I really like Hogan's promo too. Um, yeah. I'm going with the uh, Bischoff firing. Of nah, that's all. I'm going to change mine to that. Yeah. All right, Anderson. MVP, I with the Outsiders. Um, they were great in the booth, especially Hall, but Nash had those funny lines. Uh, then they had the dominant match against the Extreme. They interfere at the end. Uh, so I thought this was kind of their night. Good yeah, uh, I, I I think this is a strong night for the key uh, proponents of the NWO. I could go Hogan here. I thought it was a good night for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think it was a very strong night for Bischoff too. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll I'll second the Outsiders. They were really good too, and featured like they should have been on the pay review. All right, uh, I don't have any shots fired and no. debuts. We had. Uh, Pearl Powers, Why? Darling Storm, Jacqueline. <laughs> oh, oh, should be called Jacqueline, right? This Texas. Um, <laughs> Road Report was in Road Report was in Memphis. The Extreme used the Hollywood Blondes theme. Um, this is a solid episode. It really did feel like a reset. We had those really good segments that carried it, but everything else was kind of whatever. Like no real big in-ring action to carry things. Um, I don't want to say it was a holdover episode because stuff did happen, but it felt like a palate cleanser slash table setter. So I went six and a half out of 10. Like I think we've seen better, but it was, it was a very good episode. Yeah. I'm very high on this episode. Actually. I, I thought, um, I wouldn't say there was like anything that was groundbreaking kind of, I mean, I kind of feel like I'm the same with you, but it was very enjoyable for me to watch. And I thought stuff made more sense at least than, what we had before, like even something like 
the Dean Malenko squash, it was like, okay, well, Dean's been on a roll. This continues that. So, like, that's right. like a yeah. breadcrumb of his old story, but it's still something. Um, and Sullivan beating Gomez is literally two minutes. That, again, was like the only thing I think could just be completely removed from this show and it wouldn't matter. Right. So I, w- I went seven and a half. I mean, I, to me, this is like a really good match, like a hidden gem match away from what I'd call a great episode. I, I yeah. really enjoyed this. Episode. All right. Raw awards uh, for match of the nights. I went with the main event. <laughs> Godwin's versus Vader. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a bulldog in LaFon or furnace. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, best moment. I just went the final four hype interview segment yeah yeah i uh, don't really i mean the only other thing i think you might could consider was uh ahmed stuff and dundee in the truck <laughs> like or maybe seconds. mankind hitting vader with the chair like that was okay um mvp was austin to me i thought he was great in that promo and again it feels like the biggest star on the show by far yeah far. uh shots fired we had vince shitting on robin hood um, he says Robin Hood has weak arms. Vince also takes a shot at Hasbens. He also says no bait and switches on the title matches. So uh, I'm sorry, no, that's six weeks. Sorry, uh, he, uh, shits on Robin Hood. That's it. So I was looking at the wrong wrong notes. Um, oh, wow. I see a lot of shots fired coming to Royal Rumble Raw. So there's a tease. Um, I think anyway, so. and considering they kind of bait and switch the actual Rumble itself. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Little... Shits on Robin Hood. Um, final grade for me, I went five and a half out of ten. I was a little above average. I like the final four interviews. I didn't mind the main event, the Vader Mankind stuff. We talked through some of the issues they have, but whatever. Kind of a middling finale to the one hour old school Raws. Yeah, I thought this was an appropriate end to the one hour Raw, so I'm going to give it a pretty bad rating because I didn't like a whole lot on this show. Four and a half. Nothing that made me very offended but certainly nothing that got me super excited either so good riddance one hour roll all right we'll see if they turn the tide in the sky dome next week uh all right combo awards um i had clean sweep for nitro i'm sure best shows nitro yeah Yeah. best match guerrero and jarrett uh best moment bischoff firing randy anderson uh better commentaries obviously nitro Um, yeah this was uh Another good, uh, another big, I think, um, show for the commentary. Yeah. Like, I, I thought, like, this was a good one for Nitro. Because they had to do a lot. Like, there was a lot of segments yeah. involving them. And the Outsiders are great. And then so was Tony and mm-hmm. crew as well, carrying everything. Mm-hmm. Plus the Piper moment was told through commentary. Yeah. Um, Star of the Night, I just put the NWO here. Like, it sounds like, you know, we love Bischoff, the Outsiders, Hogan. Like, they all had a great night. And as we talked, it was only the A-team, too. So. Right. Uh, ratings winner, Nitro? Yeah. Uh, not much to discuss. Everything kind of stayed the same. So, uh, in the prior week, Nitro was 3.7. Raw was a 2.2. This week, Raw's a 2.2 again, so stayed exactly the same. Nitro goes down to 3.6, so essentially the same. All right, so that'll do it for us here tonight. We'll be back in two weeks with uh, Raw from the Sky Dome. We're at Rumble Raw. We'll see you again. It'll be our first two-hour episode. So, yeah, that goes. Uh, and then Nitro as well will be from the Mid-South Coliseum. We'll see as they continue to ramp towards Super Bowl. we got a few episodes of Nitro to go until we get there. So be sure to subscribe to everything North South Connection has to offer. We appreciate you checking us out in the chat. See, we're out. We'll talk to you.